Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing out there? How are the Bills fans doing out there this morning? Great. We are starting a therapy group for Bills fans. It's good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, we are starting uh, a series looking at the book of Job. And um, I, uh, I've been wanting to do this for, for a while. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is kind of do an overview or a flyover of the book of Job and, and try to understand... Uh, and we all know the book of Job, we, whether you've read it, so many times people go to the book of Job when they're hurting or they've gone through a significant trial, something devastating in, in their life, and they're trying to make sense out of the suffering and try to understand God and, and his part in it and, and why do things happen the way that they do. And we're going to look at this book. This is an incredible book that deals with that and God's discussion with Job and, and Job's discussions with his friends, and they tried to give him wisdom, not good wisdom, but they give him wisdom that, that don't really help him. And then finally, Job just goes right, right to God. And the book of Job does intrigue me because the book of Job deals with suffering really when life doesn't make sense. And so obviously this is the go-to book that we go to when, when we're going through difficulties in life. And, and there's just so much that we can learn from this book, from the life of Job and his relationship with God. And what's interesting about the book of Job is just his obscurity. Um, this book uh, is set in the land of Uz, and there there is a tin man, there's a scarecrow, and there's a cowardly lion that lived there. No, it's Uz, not Oz, Uz. And it's far away from Israel. And Job is not an Israelite. Um, We don't know about the author or what time in history it takes place. We know the book is old, but we just don't really have any concrete things. And there might be a reason for this. There might be a reason for this. And, And maybe it's just that the author wants us to focus on the story's main point of how Job deals with suffering. And maybe not get so caught up in all the other nuances of the book, but really to understand how Job deals with suffering. It reminds me of a, of a similar story of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament when he's struggling with this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what the thorn is. Many people have uh, tried to understand what it is and have theories on it. But at the end of the day, we really don't know what Paul's thorn was. We read about it in Second Corinthians chapter chapter 12. And, and so we're not specifically told what this thorn is. Um, and it's because I believe we want to focus on God's response to the Apostle Paul. And Paul was told that God's grace was sufficient and God was strong in his weakness. Paul's thorn can be applied to any trial we may face, that God's grace is always sufficient. And I think if we were told what the specific thorn was, it may not relate to the things that we go through in our lives or the trials that we may go through in our lives. And I believe God wants to say the same thing to us as he shared with Paul, that in our weakness he is strong, that his grace is sufficient. And what we'll see in the book of Job is how God describes who he is to Job, how God will describe his character to Job, not necessarily answering Job, but describing to Job who he is. And let me just say this right off the bat. That is what we need today. We need Christ. The best thing God could ever give us and whatever thing we may be going through in our lives is Jesus himself. That's the bedrock 
That's the thing we need to stand firm on. And that's the thing that's going to help us to traverse with whatever we're going through. So the point, the point of the book of Job is not to have us, fo- is, is to have us focus on God's sovereignty. And in the midst of trials, we can trust his faithfulness. So let's look at the first chapter of the book of Job. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 6 through 12. And it's going to sound, if, if you, you haven't read through the book of Job or you have, this is always kind of a weird thing that's going on here. We're going to kind of dissect it and understand what's going on. We've got Satan up there and God's heavenly court. And what are all these things that are going on, these heavenly beings? So what's going on? And we're going to try to delve into that. And I believe it will give us greater understanding to the book as a whole. So let's start with verse 6. It says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before God, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan? Satan answers, answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but... Don't you love that when someone says that? Yes, but. He says, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. This is why he's the accuser. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So what in the world is going on here? Well, let's talk about this for a moment. First of all, what are we told about Job? What are we told about Job? Well, we know that he's blameless. He's a man of integrity. He stays away from evil and he honors God. And so what we're given is we're given a glimpse here into this heavenly court, God's heavenly court. And and this is a common imagery. It's a common image in the Old Testament. Here's where, let me just sidetrack for a moment here. I think we can, when we read through scripture, I think sometimes we can just, when we think of the heavenly realms or we think of the spiritual realm, we kind of just go into one category of demons and angels and that's it. We're kind of taught that way. But here we see something a little bit different in Job chapter 1. We're given this insight into this heavenly court with spiritual beings. And it's not just simply categorized into the simple angels and demons. There's actually this court, there's these heavenly beings. And in God's heavenly court, we see this figure, Satan. And in the Hebrew language, it's Satan. So we see the Satan in this heavenly court. And what the name means here, the word Satan in the Hebrew literally means accuser or adversary. Or more literally, the challenger or the prosecutor. It's a court. So we're presented Job here as blameless. He stays away from evil. And then the Satan, the accuser, comes and says, wait a minute, the prosecutor comes and said, okay, let me cross-examine this person of Job. And my conclusion would be, if you were to take everything away from him, would he still serve you? 
So who is this character? There's a couple different interpretations about this character, the Satan. I think at first reading, we may just equate it with the devil that we see in the New Testament. And that very well could be one interpretation. But as in my studies, I was reading some other interpretations that some other scholars have brought about of this person, the Satan. Dr. Tim Mackey is the writer and creative director of Bible Project, and uh, they do a wonderful job. If you check them out on YouTube, do a wonderful job explaining the Bible, the themes of the Bible. They have a podcast. Um, I know you would enjoy them, and and some of you uh, do uh, tap into the Bible Project ministry, and they do a great job. But, But Dr. Mackey, he has his Ph.D. in Semitic languages and biblical studies, and, uh, and other scholars kind of agree with him on who or what is this Satan. Well, this is, what, this is what Dr. Mackey says. He says, who or what is the Satan? The word is not a proper name like our modern translations that use the capital letter for Satan might lead us to conclude. The Hebrew word Satan is a descriptive noun describing any person that stands opposed or is an adversary to someone else. So when someone else gets in your way or tries to thwart you, just look at them and say, get, get thee behind me, Satan. You're my adversary. Get behind me, Satan. So the word Satan there literally means an adversary or an accuser. That's what it's described. So the word Satan can be used to describe any accusing attorney in a courtroom. Very interesting. So his conclusion, one conclusion from a short Hebrew word study is that a variety of people or heavenly beings can be described by the word Satan. This means that the Satan who appeared in Job chapter 1 and 2, and this is coming from Dr. Mackey, is not necessarily identical with the full orbit evil being called by the same title in the New Testament. Just another view, just, just to get your brain flown a little bit this morning. But what I want you to see, there's something important here that we need to see. What we are watching is a courtroom scene. That's what we're watching. We're watching a court scene here. And God presents Job as someone truly blameless and a righteous man. And what does the Satan say to God? What does Satan say to God? He says, well, he doesn't believe that Job serves God for the right reasons. He says, of course he serves you because he is wealthy. Take away his wealth and allow him to suffer, and he will curse you. So God says to the accuser that he can cause him to suffer, and he permits the accuser to test Job. Now, this is the point of the book. This is where it gets real complicated, and this is where many of us have had the same question in our lives when we've gone through some really difficult and maybe tragic things in our lives. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? And I guarantee if you've had a question or a conversation with anybody in your family or a friend or a neighbor, that's one of the main questions they'll always ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why would God allow this? Now, I don't want to give away the end of the book or leave you with a downer, but here is the point of the book. In the book of Job, the book of Job never answers that question for us. Now, does that leave us hopeless? Not at all. What we will discover is that God is always with Job, and he will show Job that he is sovereign. 
He is sovereign and he is always with him. Now, I know for some of you, my wife and I, many of you know we lost our first child, went through a tragic thing. Many of you have gone through tragic things in your life. And what we end up doing so many times is trying to figure out the why. Why did this happen? When we had, you know, you're, you're trying to pinpoint it. You know, so many times when we do something wrong, we can say, well, I deserve that. But when things happen in our life that we have no clue, that's where it becomes difficult. This is the dialogue that God and Job will have. But God will never answer directly the question of why. But he will reveal himself to Job. And he will reveal his character. Now, for for me, many times I would want that answer or to help me try to reason through uh, suffering and why this happened. And I used to think to myself, well, maybe God will reveal it to me eventually and show me. But I've kind of come to this conclusion now, and I even used to think this to myself, well, maybe I'll figure that out when I get to heaven and God will reveal that to me when I get to heaven. And now I've just come to the conclusion, when I get to heaven, I probably won't care. I probably won't care. Because we will see Jesus for who he is. And we will see his glory. And our purpose for traversing through this very difficult world is knowing that God is with us, that he conquered this world for us, and that we will be with him. And he will make all things right. And he will restore all things. People, I want you to understand, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world full of evil and people making evil choices and decisions. And Jesus came to restore the brokenness in our life by taking that sin upon himself. And God will renew all things. There's this anticipation that we will get heaven one day. You know, we we tend to forget how God spoke to the Israelites when he brought them out of Egyptian bondage. Right? He takes them to the Red Sea and he brings them into this wilderness, this desert, that eventually he's going to bring them to what? The promised land. Now, what's interesting is how long did they stay in the promise or how long did they stay in the wilderness for? For 40 days, right? Now, if you were to take the short track from Egypt to the promised land or the land of Canaan, it would only take about two weeks. Why did God wait so long? Why did he allow them to go through 40 years of traveling why didn't he just take them to point A to point B? God, why, why am I going through this? Why can't I just go to point A to point B? Why is life so difficult at times? And what God does for Israel by bringing them into the wilderness is he reveals his character to them. There's a passage in Exodus that, that, that encourages the Israelites that God says to them, listen, I gathered you to myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks. I wanted to show you who I am. And so what God was doing is he was working his character into the lives of the Israelites to trust him above everything else. And so, so many times when we're traversing through this world and we're going through difficult things, God desires more than anything else to reveal who he is to us, that we can trust his character above everything else, that he is good and that he is faithful. So let me give you a little overview of, of the, the book of, of Job. And if you've ever read through the book of Job, we understand that he loses everything and he'll have a discussion with three friends trying to answer the question of God's justice. Is God just for doing this? And what his friends tell him is that God rewards good people and punishes 
bad people. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's the way it should be. You do something bad, you get punished, right? That, that makes sense to us. And that's what they're trying to tell Job. But the problem is, is this. This is not the case for Job. He hasn't done anything. So Job's friends conclude that Job must have done something wrong for the things that have happened to him. And we can do the same thing, can't we? We can try to figure out why is this happening? Is God disciplined? Is, is God mad at me? Is, well, why is this? And we can, we can do the same thing in our head when we can't pinpoint why this happens. And so what Job finally does is he gives up on his friends and he goes right to God. And he has this dialogue with God. And because of his suffering, he is raw with God. His emotions are all over the place because of the suffering that he's going through. And what's interesting, in chapter 32 of Job, we're introduced to Elihu. Elihu comes on the scene and he rebukes Job's friends and gives a different answer to Job's suffering. His conclusion to why why good people suffer is different from his friends. And what he does is he claims that it might not be punishment, and what and are, are things that we may have committed in the past. In fact, what Elihu's idea is, maybe, maybe God might allow suffering to cause us to grow in him. See, Elihu was not trying to figure out why Job was suffering. He wanted Job to know that God is just and we should not doubt his justice. Towards the end of the book, God shows up in this whirlwind and he answers Job and he shows Job his grandeur of his creation. And God wanted to show Job that his perspective was much different from Job's. I think that's hard for us to grasp at times because we look at our lives through this little tiny pinhole, right? And it's so hard for us to understand a God in heaven who is above all creation, who is completely in control, who is a sovereign God, who is all-powerful. It's hard for us to understand how he works in our world when we're just looking through this small little pinhole of our own lives. And he answers Job, and he's not trying to be brutal with Job, but in Job 38, listen to what God says to Job as, as, as he responds to Job and his questions. He says to Job, were you, were you there? Were you there? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? And basically what God is saying to Job, God is saying, I am sovereign over all creation. I am sovereign over all creation. We have only one glimpse and God sees everything. Let, let, me, let me, for those of you that like to, like to hike, let me explain to, to hiking if you like to, if you're, if you like to you know, brutalize yourself by hiking up mountains, right? Um, let me explain. If you go to the Adirondacks, it's a, it's a huge wilderness, but when you, when you start your hike and you go, up, you go up a mountain, you're usually starting in the forest. You can't see anything. It's, it's dense. You maybe see 20 feet in the forest and that's it, but you have this one trail that you're following up. And the reason why you're taking this trail is because you, you're hiking this mountain for one reason. It's because you're insane. No, you're, you're hiking this mountain because of what? The view at the top. 
You want to see something. Now, if you, if you would you know, climb up this huge mountain, this three, four, 5,000 foot mountain just to get to the top and see other bushes and see other trees, you'd be like, that was it, right? I, I'm, you, know, you go up there for the view and, and uh, I have yet to do any high peaks. I want to do it. I did, have done one white face, but we drove up. I told you that already, so it was cheating. Um, but we, we did one. We did one pretty high mountain that was Blue Mountain. And I don't know, it's like 3,500 feet or 36, whatever it is. But it's, it's got a fire tower at the top, beautiful view. And I remember it's pretty much a 1,500 foot vertical right from the beginning. So you're going up rocks and you're climbing. It's a pretty good, good hike. But I can remember getting to the top. And when you get to the top and you get down the fire tower, it was a clear day when we hiked at one time. You could see all the high peaks. You could see Mount Marcy. It was a beautiful view. It was a completely different perspective from the top than from the bottom. Completely different perspective. You see, at the end of the book, God honors Job's wrestling with his questions and he's honest about his struggles. See, it's okay to be honest with your struggles. It's okay to come to God and say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. It's okay. God can handle it. He can handle all our struggles. See, this is the point of the book. It's not to have the answer necessarily for the specific suffering that you're going through. Because when I try to understand suffering, many times I will simplify God or act in my own wisdom. And we'll run to the world or run to other friends to try to figure these things out. But we have to remember that in our suffering, God wants to remind us of his faithfulness and his goodness. You see, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, God continually reminded them of what he did for them. See, when they were discouraged and they felt like there's no way out or or, how is God going to meet our need in this specific way, what did God always do for them? He reminded them, I am the same God that brought you through the Red Sea. There was no way out. You had the Red Sea before you, and you had your enemy, Egypt, behind you. You were a sitting duck, and you would have died without my deliverance, without my salvation. And God parted the Red Sea they went through, and he swallowed up the enemy behind them. And it was through their wilderness wanderings that God always wanted to remind them, I'm the one, I'm the one. Teach this to your children. Teach this to your children's children that I am the God that delivers you. I am the one that's with you. I will be with you in the future. And through all your traversing and trials, I will be with you. Where Israel got in trouble, and we see this in the book of Judges, is when they stopped sharing the stories of God's faithfulness. They stopped sharing the stories of God's promises and how God meets their needs. And so what God does is he reveals himself. He doesn't leave Job hanging. He does reveal himself for the God who he is. And he says, you can trust my character. So in our times of suffering, we need to remind ourselves of the promises of God. And instead of trying to figure out what we don't know, I will trust in what I do know, that God is always good and he's always in control. You know, pastoring 32 years, I've done a lot of funerals. And many times you do funerals, they're, they're difficult funerals. Tragic things that may have happened in someone's life. And, and, and I, I will not try to stand before people and try to figure out what they're going through or try to minimize their hurt or their pain or their trial. 
And the one thing that I'll try to share with them with the things that I've gone through in my life, my wife and I have gone through in our lives, is, is, is I'll always point back to, man, I stopped trying to figure everything out. But what I have done is put my trust in what I do know. And God is faithful. And God is still good. And he's still helpful, God. And that's what he wanted to reveal to Job. I think sometimes in our pain, we forget that our God is an ever-present God. That God is close to those that are crushed in spirit. For the hopeless, God is close to us and he is there for us. And so instead of trying to focus on what we don't know, let's focus on what we do know about God and his character. And that's the thing that God wanted to reveal to Job. So in our time of suffering, we need to remind ourselves of a couple of things. And let's remind ourselves of the promises of God. So what do we know? What do we know? What is the concrete thing that we know? Well, let me give you a couple of things here. We do know that nothing in all creation will ever separate us from his love, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all creation, no suffering that you go through, no trial that you go through, will ever be able to separate us from his love. That's his promise to you and I. What's the second thing that we can remind ourselves? That we can trust God's wisdom and his goodness. We can always trust his wisdom, that he knows best, and we can trust his goodness. And what's the third thing? We can trust that God does care for us even when things don't go our way. We, we, we can know that we know that we know that God is always there for us, that he'll never leave us. And the fourth thing is we know that God will make all things right for those who trust him. We know that he's redeeming all things and we can trust him with that. We may not see it right now, but our hope is not here. Our hope is in what is to come. That Jesus says, I've conquered this world for you and you can put your trust in me. You can put your hope in me that I'm preparing a place for you. And so, When we read through the whole book of Job, at the end of the book, we see that it ends on a good note, that God restores to Job all that was lost, in fact, twice as much. And I want you to see this as a gift from God. It shows his grace and his love towards us. And this is a perfect picture of God sending to us his very own son to take our pain because of the result of our sin. You see, if, I, if we don't connect this to Jesus, then we're going to get lost. We're going to get lost in our own pain and our own suffering. We're going to get lost in why things happened the way they did. If we don't connect it with Jesus, we'll never find God's healing for our lives. And the reason why we connected to Jesus is because he came into our mess. Jesus comes into our hurt and our pain and our abuse and all that stuff, and he takes it upon himself. He takes our sin, he becomes our offering that we might find life, that we might find healing in him and he restores all that brokenness and all that, and all that messiness and then he uses it for his glory and his purposes. I mean, that's the power of the gospel message, isn't it? That God restores those things that were broken because of sin. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So no matter what I may go through in my life and the pains and trials, and I'm not trying to minimize anything we go through, Jesus understands and he's sympathetic because he understands. He came to us to live among us, to experience our pain and our hurt and to take it upon himself. He's a perfect 
perfect Savior and High Priest in every way. And He sympathizes with us. So God sends sends us His very own Son to take our pain from the result of sin. Let me read for you 1 Peter. And and, and Peter kind of addresses this because he's dealing with Christians that are suffering, that are going through trials and persecution. Listen, Listen to the perspective that Peter puts on suffering for being a Christian. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if some strange thing were happening to you. He said, this is going to happen. This is part of the Christian walk. But he said, instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ and his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. And in fact, if you're taking notes, write down Romans 8.17 and look it up later. I don't have it for you here, but look it up later because it, what Paul talks about is being co-heirs with Christ. And, and we're co-heirs with Christ in his glory if we also share in his, what? Suffering. Yeah, God, God, God uses it. Not only does he use it, but, but Peter says here, you'll find a joy that will be linked with Christ and that it'll walk with us. And give us a joy that this world can never give us. Because one day he's going to restore all things. You can't know God unless we go through trials in a deeper way. We can't experience him fully unless we endure through them. So you can trust God with your pain. He's working in you something far greater than you will ever know. And so next week we're going to look at, as we dig deeper into the book of Job, we're going to look at, can we make sense of this? We're going to look deeper in the dialogue that God had with Job himself. But I want us to, what I want to leave with you today, I was um, going through my devotions the other day, and there was a a passage that came up in, in, in my devotions in the book of Isaiah, and I thought this was perfect with how God treats us, how God, how God relates to us, through our pain and our, and our trials and what we're going through. And I want to read for you Isaiah 42, 3. And let me give you the background here. What Isaiah, in, in writing this, um, he shares of a, of a coming Savior who's, who's gentle and humble, who treats us kindly and tenderly. And as, as Isaiah is writing this, he's juxtaposing it to uh, the kings of the world, and the strongest king at that time was was Cyrus, king of Persia, and, and he was known for crushing people, for annihilating people, for ruling with an iron fist. And what Isaiah says is, but there's a coming Savior who's completely the opposite. This coming Savior is humble and gentle and kind. And I think sometimes when we go through suffering or pain or something has, tragic happened to us in our past, we feel like we're not able to be used by God. Maybe we feel like damaged goods. Maybe we feel like, man, pastor, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I made wrong decisions in my life. We feel like, how can God use me? Or how can God redeem my life? Or this has happened to me that was beyond my control and I feel like damaged goods. How can God use me? How can God use this suffering or this trial that I've gone through in my life? Listen to the words of Isaiah. 
I love this. In verse 3, you can write it down, Isaiah 42.3. The whole chapter is wonderful, but let me just read this. Isaiah says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. What Isaiah shares here is of a Savior who is gentle, who's kind. And what Isaiah does is he paints a picture of a bruised or broken reed where someone would just toss aside or you can't use it anymore or just basically a a fire that's barely flickering and it would be easy just to put that fire out with your hand or just stomp on it and the fire would be out. And what Isaiah says, this is who the Savior is uses, those who feel beat up, those who feel bruised and broken. Those are the ones he uses. He doesn't cast them aside. He doesn't snuff it out. He says, no, 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 no. These are the ones that I use. And I think sometimes that's how we feel. We've all gone through this. We feel like, how can God use me? How can God use this? I just feel like a bruised reed or a fire that's barely, barely alive. I want you to know this morning, maybe you're tempted to believe or feel your suffering has no use or your past or your abuse has no use. But God says, I take the broken reed and I take the fire that's barely flickering and I take it and I redeem it and I use it because I'm kind and I'm humble and I'm tender. God sees what you're going through. God sees your past. He's not oblivious to it. God wants to use it for his purposes and his glory. God redeems all things for his good. He does. I have to believe that. The world may look at it and seem like it's senseless or whatever or take pity. God sees it as a way to use it for his purposes and his glory. And he takes Job and he allows him to go through this. But here's a picture of restoration and grace. You see, the thing that God wants to give you more than anything else and than all these specific answers of how and why and this or that, God says, the greatest gift I ever gave you was my son, Jesus. And he's experienced everything that you've gone through. He knows what you're going through and he's sympathetic, he's empathetic, and he relates to you. The best thing God could ever give you in your time of suffering and hurt is his son, Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I love hearing stories of how God redeems broken lives because that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what thing is in your past. Maybe you're like, yeah, pastor, that's me. I'm the the broken, I'm I'm the bruised reed. And I never thought I could be used, but Christ changed me. And I've I've shared this story before. This girl in our youth group named Kelly. I see her on Facebook a lot, which is really cool. She was sexually abused seven years by her stepdad. 
And God healed her. God brought her into a living faith with him. Kathleen and I just were her, her, just her friend and her youth pastor and helped her walk through that stuff. What I love about Kelly's life is today her, her husband's a pastor. And I love listening to her story and seeing her kids and how God has redeemed her a broken, broken reed and how God used it and how God healed and how God redeemed. And I want you to know God will do the same thing for you. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimize the pain and the hurt and the scarring with whatever you've gone through, whatever tragic thing you've gone through, whatever trauma you've gone through. But Jesus takes that brokenness and he uses it for his purposes and his glory and he relates to you. I'm going to be doing an upcoming series on the words that Jesus said and the words that Jesus spoke. And one of the things in my study that I noticed about Jesus is the way he related to his, his heavenly father, the way he related to his father. And he calls him Abba Father. Closeness, intimate, relational. God is not oblivious to your pain and your hurt. That's why he sent Jesus to come right down in our midst. Jesus desires to have a relationship with you and bring healing and redemption to your life. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where your pain is. I don't know where your trauma is. But I want you to know that Jesus knows. And he wants to bring healing to your heart. That doesn't mean that the memories will go away. That doesn't mean it's a little patch to put on your boo-boo. I'm not trying to say that at all. But what I am saying is he is there and he does redeem. And he'll give you a joy that nothing in this world could ever bring because he understands more than anyone else. So I'm going to pray for you today. And and I want you to know as you wake up tomorrow, as you live your lives each and every day, I want you to know that God is there. And his son Jesus wants to have that relationship with you. And he wants you to know that you're not alone in your suffering and your pain and the things that you go through. You are not alone. You're not alone. How many realize we all have our thing? Amen? We're all messed up, aren't we? We just are. We all got our thing. You know, like I said all the time, we're all jacked up in some way or another. We just are. We all have our stuff, right? And God knows that. That's why the family of God is so imperative, is that we're able to help each other through all that stuff and love on each other and pray for each other and help each other through this world. We've got a lot to look forward to. God is restoring all things. And he has heaven for those who put their hope in his son. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. I'm sorry. It was a little heavy today. It all started last week when the bills lost, so I'm sorry. It's a little heavy today. But I want to pray for you and just ask God just to help you. We're going to close in song today and, and allow the Lord just to speak to your heart as we ultimately have our hope and victory in Christ Jesus. So let me pray for you. Father God, I... I just come before you today and I know that um, life is real. Pain is real and suffering is real and we don't want to hide behind a Bible verse just to say, well, it's okay. Lord, we, you deal with the deep things in our lives and you dealt with Job and you allowed him to express his frustration and his hurt and his rawness. And I thank you that 
that you revealed yourself to him on who you were in your character. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through our life and the things we don't understand, I pray that we would cling to the things we do know. And we know that our future is bright in you, Jesus. That you use all things for your purposes and glory in the heart of the gospel message. The heart of the message is redemption. Taking things that were broken because of sin in the world we live in and you restore Jesus. And we see that through the power of your resurrection and you conquering sin and death through your death on the cross and through your resurrection. That's our hope today. And I pray for anyone here today that has not taken that step or someone that's watching online that has not taken that step towards Christ. I pray that they would do that now. I thank you, Lord, that you cast no one out, that whoever calls on your name, you will save. And for those that are just struggling today with their past and decisions or something they're going through now, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, Jesus, that you are a kind, compassionate Savior. That you take the broken reed, the bruised reed, and you take it in your hand and you use it. You don't cast it away. You use it for your glory. And we thank you for that. You're a perfect Savior in every way, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your tenderness in our lives. And we want to be careful, very careful, to ask all these things in your precious name, in your precious name. And all God's children said, amen. Can we thank the Lord for his word today? God is faithful. Can we thank him? He's good. Amen.